Do you ever wonder how your favorite country artist got to where they are today? We had no fear whatsoever. In fact, we, we probably made a lot of mistakes. People go, what are they doing? They're not ready for this. But we were so hungry to be out there in front of people that we probably should have spent a little more time honing our craft <laughs> before we just dove in. Did success come easy or was it a long, hard road? I wasn't sure I was going to make it at all. But I just kept like the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. What advice would they give to a young artist? The greatest advice Elvis ever gave me. If you ever forget where you came from, you're never going to get where you want to go. Meet our co-hosts, Candy O'Terry and J.C. Don Valeris. They sat down with icons in the music industry, and you've got a front row seat. Welcome to Country Music Success Stories. Hi, I'm Candy O'Terry. And I'm J.C. Don Valeris. This episode features a woman who sings, acts on TV, film, and on stage. She's a songwriter, a recording artist, a producer, philanthropist, and wait for it, she even has her face on a stamp in Greece. She's a mother, a breast cancer survivor, and one of our all-time favorite interviews. Why? Well, because she's just so easy to talk to. What's her name? Rita Wilson. We caught up with Rita in the green room at CMA Fest in Nashville for this up-close and personal conversation about her brand new country album. This interview is full of stories, both personal and professional. So grab a beverage and listen in. Rita had just performed at CMA Fest, and we couldn't wait to ask her about the experience. CMA Fest is a great place because the audiences are so receptive and they're so present and they're so generous and wonderful and uh we were downtown in this great stage and uh it was so much fun it felt like we got on a roller coaster and it just went on and on and on and then i came off of it and i was like oh boy that was a fast one it felt like a workout we're celebrating the release of your latest album it's called now and forever duets which was co-produced by you and grammy winner matt rawlings it's filled with duets with superstars to die for. Keith Urban, Tim McGraw, Willie Nelson, Josh Groban, Jackson Brown, Vince Gill, and more timeless tracks from the 70s. Tell us how you picked the songs because there are so many melodic great songs to choose from. Okay, the 70s are just amazing. I'm really still obsessed with those songs and I'm not alone. So many people love the songs from the 70s. And the selection process was interesting because we started with maybe a hundred, maybe 150 songs. And we just made a playlist of everything. And then as we went to approach artists and duet partners, I would say to them, I had an idea of a song that maybe I wanted to sing with them, but I would offer three to five songs and see if any of those songs resonated. And usually they chose the one that I would have wanted them to choose. So it was very exciting to have that process. And sometimes there were songs that people chose that weren't on my list, but I felt like, okay, that's fantastic. We should do that. The lead single is Fleetwood Mac's classic album cut, Songbird, with Josh Groban. I had a chance to interview Josh. Maybe he was 20 years old, a baby, but the voice. Yeah. Rita, what was that like to do that duet with him? It was an extraordinary experience, just like it is with any of the duet partners, because when you're so familiar with someone's gorgeous voice and it's iconic, and then you are singing with that person, A, it's surreal, and you have to snap yourself out of it, like, okay, yes, this really is happening, but B, it was 
extraordinary. have voices that are recognizable. If somebody came in right now and put on a song by any one of the artists, you would have said, oh, of course, I First know. First note, right? That's Jackson Brown. That's, you know, whoever it is. The song selection was really just a kind of a collaborative process back and forth. Tell me about the first time you ever heard yourself on the radio. Oh, my goodness. That was mind-boggling. I think it was Ryan Seacrest. Like, you cannot believe it. It's shocking. It's strange. It's surreal. It's the same thing. You you know it's happening, but you can't quite believe it's happening. (laughs) It's like a dream. And that's the thing, because you realize it's different when you're hearing your song in the monitors in a studio, right? But when you know it's coming out of the radio, and people are driving along, and there's your song, or they're in the kitchen doing the dishes, and there you are. No, it's really like that moment you want to blast it through your car windows and drive around going, it's me! pointing at the radio that's my song (laughs) one of the things that JC and I are very proud of is we have a relationship with the Glen Campbell Museum and we do a lot of work there introducing artists and doing interviews there we're going to get you there someday so that we can put you on the rhinestone stage oh boy talk about the experience of doing Wichita Lineman with Jimmy Webb that was incredible you know I have to thank Glen Campbell for doing that song because even as a kid when I heard that song your heart just breaks and sometimes there's that perfect matchup of a fantastic songwriter a fantastic song and the perfect singer to sing that song so when I chose to cover that on AMF and my first album first album which is 10 years old okay 10 years old I can't those songs never wear out Oh no they never do my producer Fred Mullen said what would you think of Jimmy Webb coming in and playing the piano on this? I'm like, are you kidding? Like, what? What? I am a lineman for the county And I drive the main road Searching in the sun for another And he said, yeah, he's a friend of mine. I'll ask him. And Jimmy said yes. And he came down to Village Recording Studio in West Los Angeles and he played the piano. And, you know, for him, it's a completely different key. So it wasn't like he just came in and, oh, yeah, I can do the." It was so spectacular, and I am so thankful, and we became friends. So now Jimmy and his wife, Laura, and I try to get together when we can, and he's a legend. Rita, if you're lucky, you're born with a gift, a special talent, but you really did hit the jackpot because you excel 
at so many things as an actress on stage, on TV, film, singing, songwriting, and also as a producer. All of these gifts require drive and passion. So the question is, when you were growing up, did you tap into these gifts early in your life? And was there someone who said, you're really good at that? Okay, I love this question so much. Music was really my first love. And I didn't play an instrument. I thought all the people that sang the songs also wrote the songs. So I didn't know that there was also a career called songwriter. And I worked at a concert venue called the Universal Amphitheater. And I would watch these shows and I had a palpable aching, a longing that felt almost painful because I was like, how do you do that? How do you get up there? How do you get on that stage? What did they have to do? Who did they know? I didn't know anybody in the music business, so I didn't know how to do that. And acting happened at a very young age. So I sort of was working so much that that became my job. It really was something that it's how I made my living. And then I used to get up at any time, at the drop of a hat, and sing for anyone. And my go-to song was Ode to Billy Joe by Bobby oh. Gentry. So you can imagine a 10-year-old singing. It was the 3rd of June, another sleepy, dusty, dale day. She was so low, you know, so sultry and sexy and dark. And what was that song about? It was so terrifying. <laughs> That's like, true, right? What hell happened on that what damn bridge? What is this bridge? child singing about? Oh my gosh, you know, why are you talking about the peas? Somebody just threw something off a bridge and I think it's somebody's dying. I mean, and they're talking about peas, past the black eyed peas. Right. It was still a longing that was always there. So when I finally decided to do music yeah. and was signed by DECA, this amazing label that had been around forever, it was really a dream come true. And that started about 10 years ago. And here I am at CMA Fest talking to you. I wonder <laughs> if we can ask you a question about your childhood, because I do believe that our childhood really does shape and form us. And I know you've had a really interesting one. You're a first generation American. What was the vibe like in your house when you were growing up? Tell us about your folks. It was so much fun. I'm still so thankful for the family that I was blessed with. And my mom was Greek. My dad was Bulgarian. And at home, I was Greek and Bulgarian. And out in the world, I was American. And my parents really felt that they were American. And they worked very hard to become citizens and be Americans. And yet, they did a great job of assimilating and making sure that, you know, we were all felt like everything was normal, except for my mom always used to make my clothes. And she made my prom dresses, she made our bedspreads, our curtains, our coats, she could make anything. And I remember shopping with her and wanting to buy something. And she would say, why are you doing that? I can make that for you. I'm like, Mom, because you can't make the jeans that Cher is wearing on Sunny and Cher. Let me buy these jeans. But then she was also had a great sense of music. And we would be driving in the car and she would always have AM radio on and a song would come up. And she would always say, that song going to be a hit. And she was always right. It was always a hit. She should have been in the music business, right? I, 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 no, really. She had a great ear. ear. 
And so I was very thankful for that. And I have to owe my dad a an ability to just be very sporty because I love sports. And my dad was a golfer, a volleyball player, and a swimmer. He loved all of that stuff. So it was a very family family, you know. My parents were married 59 years. and What a blessing. Yeah, it was a blessing. The list of TV shows you've been on is astronomically long. <laughs> and they include hits like Hawaii Five-O, Bosom Buddies, MASH, Happy Days, Three's Company, Who's the Boss, Frasier. It goes on and on. <laughs> Did you mention The Brady Bunch? Let's go okay. way back. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let's go way back to your first role as Pat Conway on Correct. The Brady Bunch. Yes. Were you nervous? What was it like on an iconic set like that? It was incredible. I mean, I love doing that show. It got me my Screen Actors Guild card. It was so trippy to do it because Maureen McCormick, I was 15. She was, I think, 15 and a half. She had her driver's permit, but she would drive herself to work in a chocolate brown Mercedes. And I just was like, whoa, what is that? Like, she's 15 and she has a Mercedes. It was crazy. And the director of that episode was dating Elizabeth Montgomery, who was Samantha in Bewitched. So Samantha came to the set one day. So here I am at Paramount Studios. And not only am I working with the Brady Bunch, who I could not believe was my favorite show, hence my hair parted in the middle. Yeah, it's hard to give up that hairstyle when you're... (laughs) (laughs) And yet I was still also meeting Samantha from Bewitched. It was kind of crazy. When you look at the trajectory of your TV acting career and your film career, they both got going pretty quickly and you were working pretty much all the time. So what kind of discipline does it take to keep working and make a name for yourself in that field? It's changed over the years. When I was younger, I was just really thankful to be working. My dad was a bartender, and I remember a very specific moment where I knew I was making more money than my dad, who was supporting a family. So I was very blessed that I was able to help out my family as well. But I just looked at it as a job. And it wasn't until like my mid-20s where when I left and went to England and trained, went to a drama school there called Lambda, the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, that I started looking at it as an art form because before it was just, I just worked all the time and I didn't really have a choice in what I was doing. And then as I started working more in film and more in television, I did take some time off to raise kids so I could be home when they were, you know, coming home from school and everything. But now I've sort of tried to mix it up again. And as an artist, you want to be challenged as much as you possibly can. And I realized that I had exhausted the canon of warm, kind, nurturing mothers, sisters, daughters, wives, friends, aunts, something. And so I said to, you know, my team and everything was like, I would like to find something different to do. So now I'm looking for crazy. I'm looking for tough. I'm looking anything that is opposite of what I just described, because you have to be challenging yourself if you want to stay in it. And one of the things that I wish I had known, and if somebody were young, I would have said this to them. I would say this to them now. When you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. Mm. So even if you're being offered a lot of money to do a job, but you don't feel it really coincides with what you want to do artistically or who you are as an artist, say no to that because you're saying yes and defining that artistic path 
more deeply. Is there a difference between the kind of discipline you have to have to be in the acting area of entertainment versus the music entertainment? Well, I think that in some ways they're very similar, in some ways they're completely different. I would correlate live performing in music more to doing a play when you have an audience. Mm -hmm. And as an actor, you have more control over that performance in a way from beginning to end than you do with a film, which is you you do your film or TV show and then it's edited and you're not part of that process and you don't have control of it. And so uh, to me, the discipline is more that it's a craft and the craft has to be trained. You have to work on it all the time. It's not something that you just decide you're going to pick up one day and do. And I still work with an acting coach if it's something that I'm really excited about and I want to try something new. I work with my vocal coach. I write songs all the time. So I'm still, you know, always doing that because you can't just assume that your muse is going to show up on the day that you need it. Sometimes when I'm singing, I feel like I'm performing a character for certain songs. I feel like I can do that. There's a song called um, New Girl that I have that was inspired by a friend, true story. She was married and she was at their kid's soccer game and she gets a text from her husband. And in that text, it said, honey, I love you so much. I'm so excited. Can't wait to see you. And P.S. My wife is going away for the weekend. So he had sent his girlfriend the text and he thought he did, but it went to his wife Mm. and they got a divorce. And I wrote a song called New Girl because I imagined my girlfriend handled it so beautifully. And even though the marriage didn't work out, she's such a classy person. She didn't trash him or anything. And I thought, what if this woman ran into this new girl that he was seeing? What would she have said? Mm. And that's, in a way, when I sing that song, I'm singing it from that person's point of view. So in a way, it's like a character. You have branched out into songwriting and have co-written with so many incredible people. Cara Diaguardi, who we're actually interviewing this weekend. She's the reason I got into songwriting. Me too, actually. So she's an incredible person. So what have you learned about the art of co-writing from working with these incredible people? Kara said one thing to me that I'll never forget because I said, I can't write. I wish I could write. She goes, why can't you write? I said, because I don't play an instrument and I don't read music. And she said, neither do I. I'll ask you a question. Do you have something you want to say? And when she said that, I'm like, oh, I have so much I want to say. She goes, I'm going to write your first two songs with you. And she did. (gasps) Along with Jason Reeves, another amazing writer who writes with Colby Calais. And he was part of the band Gone West. So whenever I go into a songwriting session, I'm trying to connect to... What is it that I want to say about any certain thing that we're writing about, whether it's this is the best time I've ever had or is the saddest song I've ever written? Well, your songwriting has led you all the way to the stage of the Grand Ole Opry. What does it feel like to walk in that building and onto that stage? I kid you not, my knees were shaking. The first time you do it, you're put in this one room and it's the room that signifies that this is your first time at the Grand Ole Opry. It's humbling. They have pictures on the walls of people like Dolly Parton and Reba and Loretta and Faith Hill and the list goes on and on. And everyone leaves their door open. So when other artists are performing there, they'll come by, they'll say hi to you, you'll talk and they make you feel like you're part of it. 
So then you're kind of like, oh, great. Yeah, I'm part of this. This is awesome. Oh, fantastic. Until you walk out, you start walking and you get to the stage and your, your heart is beating like a rabbit. And for me personally, my legs were shaking. My entire legs and knees were wobbling. And you just get through it and you know that you're supported by one of the best bands ever. So and true. the audience is so receptive and wonderful. And there's also that added thing where it's been like, oh, 90 years they've been listening to this show on the radio. No pressure, right? <laughs> like no pressure. And you're standing in the circle. Oh, yeah. It's pretty mind boggling. And I'm so thankful. And, you know, you keep track of your performances. So I've had seven now. Seven. Yes. Well, your career has kept you in the public eye since you were a little girl. Is there a hard lesson that you have had to learn about being in the public eye? I think the hardest lesson would be when you have children and you're trying to protect their privacy because they didn't ask to be in showbiz, you know, when they're little and trying to just afford them the privacy that they've been given as private citizens in the world. And sometimes it's hard for people to understand that there are certain parts of your life that are off limits. You mentioned your children, and I always love to ask, how did motherhood change you? Okay, I became just far more anxious because then you're like, oh my God, I have this little baby. What am I going to do with this little baby? Protect this baby from everything. And then they start walking. You're like, don't go over near that pool. <laughs> like everything is just fraught with anxiety. But it's also the opposite of that is that it's just full of joy. So, you know, I'll take the anxiety as long as I'm also getting this joy. I love that Irish expression where they say it's like your heart is walking around outside your body. Totally. That's exactly <laughs> what it's like. <laughs> yes. And on the other side of it, you had a really big health scare. And I have interviewed many women who are breast cancer survivors throughout the course of my career. And I'm glad you're healthy and well. Thank you. They all say that breast cancer changed them from the inside out. It's 100% true. How did it change you, well, Rita? Because when you're really confronted with a form of mortality, when you get your diagnosis and you don't know what it's going to be and how it's going to turn out, you're scared and you have to accept it. And interestingly enough, there is a, an acceptance that comes mm -hmm. along with it. And then you are changed when you know that, okay, I'm okay. I have a good prognosis to start living the life that you really want to live and doing the things that are meaningful to you and spending the time with the people that you want to be with and the people that you love. And it's not that you cut people out of your lives, but it's more of an intense and deeper experience with the people that you do love and that you care about. And, you know, also, I still managed to find times to laugh and later wrote this song called Throw Me a Party. I was just about to oh! ask you about that. Talk about that song. What a fun well, song. Throw Me a Party by Rita Wilson. Sing my songs and light up the sparklers.
I wrote that with Christian Bush and Liz Rose, Christian Bush from Sugarland and Liz Rose, who's part of the Love Junkies, but has written so many songs with Taylor Swift. And, and Lori McKenna, and who's Lori also McKenna, been on our Love show. Junkie. I love yeah. Lori. She's, She's incredible. I've girl. written with her. She yeah. is. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so that song came out of the experience of being diagnosed and having those conversations with my husband that, you know, you never think you're going to have, but what Mm -hmm. happens if, you know, it's not a good outcome and I go before you. And so it was really, I said to him, I I wanted two things. One was that I wanted him to be very sad for a very, very long time. (laughs) And then number two was (laughs) I wanted to have him, you know, throw me a party. So that's how that song came about. And I'm so thankful to Christian Bush and Liz Rose for writing it with me. And it's one of my favorite songs. They say that there's no greater joy than giving back and doing for others and being a person of service. And that's always been important to you. You've done so much philanthropy. Has that been good for your soul as well? Totally. For over 25 years, uh, both Tom and I have been involved with the Women's Cancer Research Fund, and now we're part of the larger Breast Cancer Research Fund, the Estee Lauder charity. And one of the best days of the year is when we sign those checks to the scientists that we're funding and getting closer and closer to a cure for cancer or early diagnosis that isn't invasive. So that is really exciting. And then we've also been part of a company called the ShakespeareFestival.org in Los Angeles that serves underprivileged children and teaches them Shakespeare and gives them somewhere to go after school to keep them out of joining gangs and learning something, but also enjoying their lives and, and feeling safe. A star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and you even have the first time in the history of our show, your own stamp in Greece. Yes. You're the only one, the first one and only one, a celebrated and respected TV film artist. I like to say that people lick the back of my head. There you go. A letter. Only one we have, JC, on our whole show. <laughs> this is a huge body of work, Rita. What are you most proud of? What am I most proud of? It's not one thing. I think I'm most proud of the fact that I'm still standing, you know, life hands you all sorts of things. And I'm thankful that I have gone through some hardships, but I'm still here. One of the things that I'm proud of is that I try not to let any limitations run my life. I like to say I can do anything. And it doesn't mean that I will get the results that might be the results that the world would use as a metric for success. But if I feel successful with them, then I like that. I, lo- I love when people say, you can't do that. And then I'm like, really? Oh, I so want to do that now. <laughs> because I like proving people wrong. But I also like inspiring people to do the things that they really, really love to do and not take no for an answer. When I was touring on the very first album, and I would meet people backstage and sign CDs and people would say, oh, I I just wish that I could do this. I've always wanted to. And they've always had a dot, dot, dot after that. And it was always something in the arts. I would have always wanted to write. I've always wanted to do poetry, be a singer, be a songwriter, play an instrument, do comedy, act, whatever. And I'd say, why haven't you? Oh, well, my parents said if I did that, that they wouldn't pay for my college education, or I'm too scared, or time has passed me by. And I'm like, never too late, ever ever too late. And I'd say, 
Go to your community theater, see what plays they're doing, do an audition, get together with your friends if you love singing and do a song night once a month with friends. Find someone who plays the piano, can sing, play anything. Because it's really comes down to that kind of joy you want in your life. And we should never say no to any kind of joy that anything brings you like that. What do you wish you knew when you first got started? That I could say no. And that I could define myself as an artist and not be afraid to do that. We get that answer recently a lot. And, and I think it has to do with feeling more empowered, too. Totally, we're looking back totally. on ourselves when we're 20 years old in the rearview mirror going, I should have said no to that. Right. Exactly. Right. It, it, totally. Final question for you. And thank you so much for having us here. My pleasure. Fill in the blank. The key to my success as an actress, a producer, a singer, a songwriter has been what? Faith. I have a very strong faith in God. And I have faith in myself. I have faith that the right people are in my life that are meant to be there. I seek them out. I, I'm open to those people. So I, I just have faith that things are going to turn out okay. Well, first of all, best of luck on the new album. Please know Thank that you. JC and I are huge fans of yours and we'll do anything we can to support you now and forever. Duets by Rita Wilson, a tribute to the melodies and the stories that defined a generation. And I want to thank you and your team so much for making this happen. I'm a huge fan of yours, as is Candy, like she <laughs> thank said. You. Thank you so much for being our guest on season three of Country Music Success Stories. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I didn't know that I was a success this story. Is a I'm very, very honor. happy. <laughs> huge honor. <laughs> thank you both. There they are, Candy O'Terry and J.C. Don Valeris, two award-winning interviewers who are respected and trusted right here in Nashville. Do us a favor and hit that subscribe button right now and tell your friends about the show. Follow them at Country Music Success Stories and on TikTok at Candy and JC. 